0: You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Psychedelia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2pm. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au.
1: Psychedelia. Good afternoon and welcome to the program for your Sunday afternoon. Uh, my name is Nick. Uh, sitting across from me is Ash. Uh, this is In Psychedelia where we talk about all things drugs. Ash, welcome. Oh, good afternoon. Thank you. <laughs> um, so uh, on the program, I'm just trying to start my computer. It always takes forever to start. Just when you want something to work quickly, that's when it doesn't. Um, but on the show this afternoon, I mean, we have sort of um, going to be focusing a little bit on uh, peer work and um, uh, the, the role of peer workers in harm reduction and uh, some of the, the, the nuances and differences, because I think some with we're talking about the the arrests that happened uh, at or around M this week, and uh, how that has been reported as uh, you know, ba- it's basically stoking this fire of oh uh, we need to shut it down or move the centre or whatever.
2: So uh, M being the medically supervised injecting room Thank in you. North Richmond.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, but yeah, there was a bit of reporting. I think it was the um, acting acting health minister Luke uh, Donnellan. Donnellan? Uh, yeah, Luke Donnellan. I think um, yeah. who who was uh, saying that he didn't he didn't think it was right that uh, ex drug users were working with uh, with current drug users because it's all about getting them you know off the drugs and really he's completely out of his depth he's misrepresented what the program is about it's actually not about getting people off drugs it's making sure people don't die if they do take those drugs these are people with um, pretty serious addiction uh, a lot of the time with the opiates so it's it's not necessarily about that it's about
2: it, it misunderstands both what the medically supervised injecting room does and is for and it also misunderstands what peer workers do like the idea of harm reduction that's not treatment Treatment is a different thing to harm reduction. Harm reduction is helping to keep people healthy um, and, you know, kind of reduce the risk of them contracting diseases or experiencing overdoses. And at some other point, they may choose to go into treatment. And harm reduction can help facilitate that, can show people pathways if they want to make that choice, but it's different to a treatment facility. And, you know, the, the comments from the acting health minister did kind of misunderstand this. Now, I'm not sure. Martin Foley is the mental health minister and um, the drugs portfolio kind of sits in his uh, ministry. And I'm not sure if the commentary would have been different if Martin Foley had have been in the country at the time. I believe he's overseas, which is why... Luke Allen was the person commenting. It did seem like
1: he was just not really like I, I haven't seen him at any uh, any of the many meetings that have been going on. I haven't uh, seen him uh, seen his name around drug policy at all. So I wonder how much he actually understands about this issue.
2: Yeah, well, that's the that's the question. I mean, Martin Foley, you know, I've seen him at multiple events, family uh, drug support uh, memorial events. He was at the Victorian Alcohol and Other Drugs yeah. Association conference the last couple of years. I believe he opened it this year. I think. Um, so, you know, whether he has better ideas, um, he would certainly have a better understanding and maybe a better ability to speak in a nuanced way about this. But, you know, the, the kind of challenge here is, um, there's policy and then there's politics and then Mm -hmm. there's the media and all of those things kind of play into how these things are, uh, how the policies are rolled out, how they're spoken about and, um, You know, I guess what happens in Parliament
1: Later on the program we are going to be Catching up with uh, Sioni Crawford The Executive Officer at Harm Reduction Victoria Also uh, Dr Kate Sear And Peter Wern, uh, the Chair of the Yarra Drug and Health Forum uh, Catching up with those guys shortly This is in Psychedelia
3: You're listening to
0: 3CR Community Radio, 855am Visit the 3CR website At 3cr.org.au Forward slash podcast to hear the most Recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live.
3: Didn't do it right The letter in his hand Tells of love But you were more Than just a shouldered friend You're someone I could love Could hate Could fear What's more Do it fried the letter.
4: Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12 pm on Saturdays here on 3CR, 855 and AM Dial Podcast. Streaming live on 3CR.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it.
1: This is In Psychedelia on 3CR, and the song you heard just before that was Jesse Glass, one of the many performers that you can still catch this afternoon in Edinburgh Gardens at the annual Village Festival. Entry is by donation, and that was uh, This Is Shouldered Friend from Jesse Glass. Uh, 3CR, uh, Nick and Ash with you, and uh, we also have... Oh, yes, yes, sorry, Ash. Um, And we also have... um There we go. Sione Crawford, Executive Officer at Harm Reduction Victoria. Sione, welcome to the program.
5: Hi Nick, hi Ash, how are you? Thanks for uh, having me on.
1: Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on and chatting with us today. So we were chatting a little bit uh, before about uh, what, what's been going on around the uh, injecting room, but some of the commentary that's been going on around it, including comments from uh, the Acting Health Minister, Luke Donnellan, Don- Donnellan. Right. You, you know uh, I, I think it's Luke and but yeah. acting <laughs> mental <laughs> <laughs> health minister, I think he uh, is. Who was talking um, about... Uh, he was basically expressing concerns that uh, people who... Uh, ex-drug users or um, people who use drugs are working with um, other people who use drugs and it sounded like he was a little bit misinformed or not just didn't really know what he was talking about necessarily because it seemed like he was uh, not really understanding what peer workers are. Uh, Home Reduction Victoria is a peer-based organisation. Um, just uh, wanting to uh, hear from you what what is a peer worker what is a peer and how, how does uh, that person and that role why is that role important uh, in in um, in this space
5: sure oh, thanks Nick look as far as uh, the acting minister goes I, I guess um, although you you'd hope that they would have um, a bit more of a, uh, an understanding of these issues I think that it's not un, unfair that people don't really um, or that not everyone has their head around what a a peer worker is. Harm reduction in itself is often sort of um, misconstrued and misunderstood as being, um, you know, part of drug treatment. Um, And when I say drug treatment, I mean, uh, you know, people think that it's related to sort of abstinence-based treatment when, as you pointed out, really what it's about is about keeping people safe while they currently use and and hopefully keeping them alive until uh, if they get to the point where they... um, want to stop using, because we know that people don't tend to stop using drugs if they're dependent, unless um, they're really ready to. But as far as peer workers go, you know, as you say, yeah, Harm Reduction Victoria is a peer-based organisation, and um, the way that we describe that to people at different times sort of um, has to be has to be different, uh, depending on their understanding of what that means. And generally, the way that we'll, we'll talk about it is that... Um, for us, peers are people who have a lived experience of in, of injecting drug use or of uh, illicit dr- or, or of illicit drug use, and um, that might be uh, current or it might be uh, in the past. But generally speaking, for the programs and the work that we do, we actually need people who are very closely connected to the community of people who use illicit drugs, because as you can imagine, and as you guys know full well, it's uh, a really a population that isn't necessarily um, willing to be incredibly open. Um, And, you know, there are really good reasons for that uh, because the impact can be so um, massive on you personally and and criminally if people find out that you're an illicit drug user. So peers really, uh, from our perspective, are crucial for um, engaging with a population who are tend to be, you know, what's known as hidden. And this approach is not new or particularly revolutionary in Australia. Really, since the early days of HIV, there's been what's known as a partnership approach to HIV prevention, hepatitis C prevention, and um, alcohol and other drug uh, treatment. And generally speaking, what that means is that um, the affected community, which is peers in this instance, government uh, and the sector, um, tend to work together to try and solve uh solve the issue, solve whatever issue is in front of them. And so really peers uh, drove the HIV uh, prevention uh, agenda in Australia, whether that was men who have sex with men or whether it was people who inject drugs. And a measure of that success is the people who inject drugs have got uh, a prevalence of less than 2% uh, HIV prevalence uh, in in our population. And that is um, one of the lowest, or possibly the lowest uh, in the world.
2: And um so, would it be fair to say that trust is maybe one of the key elements that yep. is important with peer workers and and what they do?
5: Yeah, that that's right. Yeah. So, um, as I as I said before, one of the uh, issues with our community is that we are, are hidden for really good reasons. And so, when we want to um, when we when I say we, in this instance, I'm talking about um, you know the healthcare sector. When the healthcare sector wants to um, roll out a new um, healthcare initiative, whether that's something like um, HIV prevention, or whether it's something like the hepatitis C, um, it's hepatitis uh, C treatment, or whether it's you know drug checking at festivals, one of the most effective ways to engage with people who are most going to benefit from these um, healthcare programs is by employing and engaging. Uh, with people from that affected community, and, and those are known as peers, uh, and we think it's really important to um, to have 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 that community at the centre of any of these uh, uh, healthcare programs. And, and the reason for that is be one of the reasons for that is trust, but also it's about being able to actually put these programs together in an effective way that will actually provide um, an effective response, not only um, in the healthcare. Um, context but also in a financial context so um, you know it's all about not wasting our efforts and making sure that people who need, um, uh, who, who need these um, programs uh, are, are able to engage in them.
2: So I mean I think the, the history of peers as you've just outlined with um, the injecting drug using community goes back a about four decades, at least in my knowledge, in Australia. But we've seen this in in other sectors now as well. Like, you know, it's expected that um, Indigenous people, you know, Indigenous programs should involve Indigenous people, like programs targeted towards other vulnerable groups. It's it's just common in public policy that people should be represented in policy development from those communities and that the programs should Involve those people, but it does seem like it does seem that there's this difference when it comes to peers in the illicit drug using community, yeah. particularly with injecting drugs. Is it just the stigma? Is that or is that what's going on here? Is that why it's different?
5: I, th- I think the stigma. I think stigma around illicit drug use, and as you say, especially injecting drug use, um, is the is what underlies um, this, but. That stigma is driven by a range of things, including the fact that illicit drug use, as the name kind of implies, is still illegal. And so whereas engaging the Aboriginal community, engaging the community of men who have sex with men in healthcare programs that are aimed at their communities, um, is r- straightforward in a legal sense. It's not so straightforward to engage uh, people who are currently using illicit drugs um, in and to employ them, what's more, to undertake those, um, to be part of those programs. And so, and, and the reason is because essentially a part of their life is illegal, and sometimes that gets um, mixed up with uh, with their day-to-day work life. As we've seen um, last week, um, well, as we, as we as we think we saw last week, I think it's pretty important to remember uh, that the people who were arrested last week haven't. Um, been found guilty yet, and I think one person said the charge is dropped. But nevertheless, you know, when you're engaged in, in, in an illegal activity and also are employed partly for your understanding and knowledge uh, of the community that engages in that illegal activity, you know, it's, you're in a really vulnerable and tricky position, and that is, um, uh, that's the part that makes me sad about all of this.
2: So we're going to quickly cut to a bit of audio, Sioni. This is um, yep. Jeff Howard, who was the former chair of the, um, uh, what is it, the Law Reform and Road Safety Committee that Long name. oversaw <laughs> the, the big drug, uh, drug law reform inquiry in the last parliament. And it, there's just a quick um, snippet from him talking about how that policy came about under the last Labor government and, and how that kind of policy reform sits right now.
3: Our political uh-huh. expert, in light of thank you for, for that, Kate and Jessie. Um But just to get Jeff involved here, um, I thought, as our political expert, in light of the Victorian Labor government's support of the safe injecting room in Richmond quite recently, why do you think the state government, i.e., the most progressive government in Australia, is still opposed to pill testing despite all these deaths at music festivals and all this positive evidence that it will actually save lives?
4: Well, it's a frustrating question. Um, I'll stand up so that people over there can see me. Uh, yeah, um, having been part of the um, Brax, Brumby and then Andrew's government over a 19-year period, um, <coughs> it's been a frustrating run on that score. Um, in, as you said, in 2018, I chaired a, a cross-parliamentary committee looking at a whole range of issues on drug law reform and came out with a... A, a great uh, document uh, looking at a huge range of things at which harm reduction was was clearly part of it. And at the same time, we were um, looking at supervised injecting rooms and uh, clearly um, our, our committee did travel overseas. We looked at... Uh, medically supervised injecting rooms in, in Switzerland, we also looked at them in Canada and we looked at a range of treatments where in fact they were providing heroin to people in in those countries too um, in, in carefully monitored medical programs. Uh, so I, I was easily convinced by what I saw in terms of super, uh, supervised injecting rooms and uh a number of, it's fair to say, a number of other members of the Labor Party, Labor Party the, the government were convinced, but um, it did take a lot of effort to move Daniel Andrews and I guess the, the majority across the line because there is still, uh, I guess, a fear within uh, any government that you don't want to lose the middle territory in terms of uh, voting at the next election. And so there's a conservatism on the part of the Labor Party. Uh, not to try and go too far, uh, be too dramatic and go too far to the left, I guess, because you might upset people in the middle ground. But as we saw, um, there was a lot of pressure put on um, the government and Daniel Andrews, who had been Health Minister, to, to, to take that step for a supervised injecting room. And I was delighted to think, even though he had said on a number of occasions, made those negative sta- sounds, no, we're, we're, that's not going to happen, uh, he was persuaded. Right.
2: So that was uh, Jeff Howard, um, former MP and uh, chair of the Drug Law Reform Inquiry, speaking at an event actually this Thursday, the very day that all of this news broke, um, out at Monash Uni, co-hosted by the Monash Progressive Law Association and Students for Sensible Drug Policy Australia. So that was a, a bit. I, I guess, Yoni, that's kind of what we're dealing with: is like the, the the politics and the media of the situation are often quite divorced from. The reality of people that actually know about these programs, and that's, I guess, the challenge for for governments initiating these kind of programs. They, I guess, they're scared of losing the the middle ground. Um, so, you know, what do you think that this will mean for for programs involving peer workers in the injecting room now?
5: Well, I think those are two two um, related but different questions. And I hope that the wonderful successes of MSIR are taken into account um, when 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 the decision is made at the end of the um, trial around whether or not to keep the injecting room and whether or not to keep it in its location. It really was put there for a reason. Um, And to move it to an industrial zone or to close it down, heaven forbid, um, will inevitably lead to people uh, losing their lives. Um, and I, but I do think that um, the issue around the kerfuffle kap- the around the injecting room, as in the, the, the range of views and the range of very strident views, really do sum up the um, the difficult job that politicians have to sell effective policy um, related to um, illicit drug use, because it does seem to... Um, Bring about really strong, strong emotional and um, mo- uh, dare I say it, moral um, arguments from people who are opposed to uh, loosening any, anything that they perceive as, uh, as getting going anywhere near being soft on drugs, and um, unfortunately, peer workers at the moment are literally stuck in the middle of that. Um, we know that they're really effective. We, the sector, the government who rely on this health sector to um, minimise the um, massive negative health impacts of a criminalised um, uh, behaviour that is really, really common, um, uh, rely on peer workers to minimise that uh, those, those health impacts, um, and yet they are not really supported to... Um, through high-level public policy or discourse, I think that they're supported through um, some programs uh, funded by the department, by the uh, government. I'm sorry, but um, at a high political level, it's very rare that, um, well, it's very rare that you hear someone come out and speak on behalf of or for or in support of uh, people who currently use drugs, who are peers, who are. Um, doing work that's really important for our um for our community and our sector. Uh and 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 it's yeah, absolutely because of the fear of being seen to be soft on drugs. And so we have this situation unfortunately where, um for many people and sometimes, you know, even you know, I say this, you know, harm reduction in Victoria in my role sometimes uh it's very tempting to really um turn away from talking about engaging and employing people who currently use drugs and um, you know, because you know that when you start talking about things like that, it becomes incredibly emotive very fast and you quite often lose your, um, you know, lose your lose your audience to an argument about something that you're not talking about. It's much easier for people who are currently using drugs to say that they're an ex-drug user. You know, it's very seldom that coming out and talking about being an illicit drug user um, in public or, or to a healthcare worker has a positive, a positive effect. Uh, for us. And so, um, yeah, I, I guess uh, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but essentially mm. I think that uh, unfortunately peer workers are actually sort of caught in the middle of um, in, 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 in an indecisive policy uh, framework where we really know that the, when I say we, I mean many, many thinking parts of society, including, including many politicians, many, many politicians know that our current criminalised approach um, is not working it's not effective um, and yet we can't quite get over the line to change that and for now peer workers who are already often vulnerable and marginalized are actually being um, are actually um, you know victimized
2: twice um, so I think it, this conversation about decriminalization it's one that you know obviously everybody who's in support of harm reduction who's in support of uh, effective evidence-based drug policy supports that if we did get to the the point of decriminalising drugs. Do you think that would make it a lot easier for peer workers to be able to operate with a greater sense of legitimacy and respect?
5: Oh, I think so. I think so. I think eventually, for sure. But uh, it's also a, as you know, as you guys know well, it's a highly uh, complex and, and um, charged um, um, policy space sort of yeah. area. And yeah, it. Uh, I, I think that um, you know changing laws won't. Would be a great start, and I think it would be the start of of changing um, some of the cultural uh, some of the cultural things that, that get in the way of us talking about um, uh, drug use in a sort of an evidence based or in a, um, a logical way. Um, but I think it's absolutely an important step, and I think that at the moment we sort of, in some ways, um, politicians and the policy world are sort of stuck between a chicken and egg situation. It's like, do we um, wait for Society and for the, um, you know, a broader, I suppose, a broader part of society and culture to um, demand uh, drug law reform, or do we do the drug law reform and then um, drag, uh, you know, recalcitrant parts of society along with us? And I think, in some respects, that's a little bit, you know, uh, the 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 injecting room is a a pretty classic example of uh, what can happen uh, when we make these decisions that are based on evidence, but which. reverberate really badly for some parts of parts of our society and um, it's very difficult to just drag people along but I would, yeah, absolutely I think that um, uh, for peer work to really come out of the shadows we need to uh, get a much better handle on how we deal with this criminalised market.
1: Thank you very much for joining us today uh, on Insacadeli, Sioni. No worries, thank you, thanks guys. Sione Crawford is the executive officer at harm reduction Victoria a peer-based uh, drug user organization uh, which works in the space and I think maybe um, we talked a little bit about this at the at the top of that interview but um uh, there seems to be there's different ideas about what treatment means um, and that's I mean there's a whole big debate and big discussion around what uh, what treatment looks like because some people think that abstinence is what treatment lo- looks like but <coughs> but it's sort of it, it sort of pl- uh, still plays on these ideas that drugs are inherently harmful and that's not necessarily the case i mean or, you know if we want to go i mean there's all sorts of things have some harms like if you're going to have sugar in your diet yeah you're probably going to get some you know if you eat too much sugar it's, it's there, there's harms that can come from that right it's a balancing thing it's the same with with Pretty much all psychoactive substances they're not they're not a special category of thing um, just because they've been put into a piece of legislation that's got no there's no scientific backing that's, for that this is I feel like this every
2: time a politician makes the statement or a police officer that there is no safe level of drug use and I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure that that's scientifically Complete bullshit. Yeah, because if you took if you meaning- took a microdose <laughs> of you know like there's there's an effective every drug has an effective dose mm. and um and and pretty much all of those drugs have a level that you'll consider a microdose and it's going to be safe for pretty much anybody. To have a level of a substance no, that no, no. doesn't what, even affect
1: them. What what they mean is it's not safe because they're going to come and bash down your door and arrest you in the night. Well, not that, quite that, like that. That, that could be maybe what they sniff mean. a dog you at the <laughs> station. <or something. laughs> this is psychedelia on three CR.
0: From every corner of the land, womankind arrives. Women on the line: a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs.
3: Right militantly, never you fear. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security.
0: We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our law. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am and streaming live at 3 crorgau
1: org is in psychedelia on 3CR 855 am 3CR digital 3cr org uh, we're talking today about uh, the arrests that were made uh, near the uh, supervised injecting room but that has blown up in the media um, I think there were some pretty terrible front page uh, uh, front pages of of um, newspapers again, but I suppose that, that happens often. But we just wanted to touch on some of the other things that have been going on this week, because, of course, the uh, news never stops and things never never finish. And while we've got this happening in Victoria, New South Wales, um, on the 8th of November will be uh, the coroner is releasing their report into um, the festival deaths that happened uh, during the 2018-2019 festival season. Um, but some of that reporting got leaked uh, through to the police, we believe. I think it seems that the, the police uh, ended up with it. Um, And uh, that has led to a series of reports about just how many people have been, um, uh, including children, have been strip searched in relatively public locations. So
2: concurrently with the coroner's report, there is a Law Enforcement Conduct Commission uh, special inquiry happening into the New South Wales Police Force uh, use of strip searches. And this is after them receiving multiple independent complaints. The Law Enforcement Conduct Commission is essentially the police oversight body in um, New South Wales. Now, I, I will have to ask when we catch up with David Shoebridge next on the the show, uh, Greens MP from New South Wales. I think it's a bit better than our system. Like so, here yeah. <laughs> in Victoria, we have IBAC, which is independent, but it's it generally only has the resources to tackle some of the higher level issues, um, and the the rest of the complaints, com- the rest of the police complaints process is handed. Handled internally by the police force itself. And, um. That's not ideal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think. You making a complaint, you there's don't want to make the complaint about the person you're complaining to to the person that you're complaining. That's uh, yeah, yeah, fairly obvious. Um, so this is um, just a small uh, segment from ABC News uh, where they spoke to a young man who um, has basically accepted that uh, getting searched by police is going to be a regular part of his inner Sydney life.
3: Seventeen-year-old Oliver Glover says he's been frisked and strip searched by police so many times it's almost become routine
1: just get up against the wall, you know, hands on the wall, um, legs apart and they frisk you. Um, They don't
4: seem to have to have a reason, but they just do it anyway.
3: The teenager claims the searches often take place when he's simply walking down the street in his inner city suburb of Enmore. He says he's never been allowed to have a guardian present, which by law is mandatory.
1: They know I'm underage. Pretty much every time but um they don't really seem to either care or think they have
2: like have to do anything else for me
1: and that was just one of um the uh many uh young people including underage people who have been uh strip searched by new south wales police so new south wales police as well just uh, for a little context um if you are uh somebody that likes to catch public transport and maybe uh maybe you're somebody that um likes a joint here and there right and you're somebody that- who likes to go
2: out in public in, public, in New South right. Wales, like yeah. pretty much anywhere but in
1: metropolitan. Imagine, Sydney. imagine you're in Victoria, you're on you're on the tram, you're going out, um, you're gonna have some drinks, maybe go for a walk later and have a joint. You've got that joint on you. Um the you will be if this were Sydney, there would be sniffer dogs at the tram stop, there will be sniffer dogs at the pub that you're at, there will be sniffer dogs on your street near your house. There will be uh, it doesn't matter where it is, it's happening. Everywhere. So, its It literally is like that.
2: So, and, and just, um, we, we don't have time to get into it too much on this program. We've got to move along very shortly. But we have had multiple confirmed reports that, not the Saturday just gone, but the Saturday before, Victoria Police were on Chapel Street with a sniffer dog operation targeting the nightclub district there.
1: Yeah, we're going to keep our eye on this because this happened a few year, a couple of years ago and you were part of the campaign to, to stop that happening. And um, it hasn't come back since, but uh, there seem to be... Um, pushing again.
2: You need need to be uh, ever vigilant. If you fall asleep on this, they'll come and they'll sneak it in and before you know it, Melbourne is like Sydney.
1: In psychedelia on 3CR.
3: From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade iMark is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC, a 3CR supporter.
1: i'm jeffrey i'm alphonse i'm erwin and we, we are, are from the voice of, of west papua. papua the voice of west papua now has a one hour show
2: we have moved from monday 6 to tuesday 6 30 until 7 30
4: p.m
3: yes more news and music from west papua
1: It's in Psychedelia on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, and 3CR.org.au. This is in Psychedelia, and on the line now we have uh, Dr. Kate Sear, Practicing Solicitor, Associate Professor in Law, and Academic Director of the Springvale Monash Legal Center. Uh, Kate, welcome to the program.
0: Oh, thanks very much. Pleasure to be with you.
1: Now, Kate, we've uh, had you on the program before and you've been on many uh, fantastic panels as well talking about um, about about drug policy and about um, effective drug policy. Uh, and um, we've seen this week the uh, arrests at the MSER and some um, troubling... Um, the news seems to be pushing now more, more and more in a direction of, or at least there's people pushing in a direction of, not just move it, but there are some people now calling to shut it down. Um, but one of the things that we um, really wanted to focus on was some comments from um, the acting health minister uh, Luke Donnellan this week uh, in regard to um, uh, peer workers. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about peer workers and um, and what their their role is, why they're important to have?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, peer workers are people who have a background or experience with uh, drug use. Uh, They may even be people who continue to to use drugs. I I was tuning in a few minutes ago and listening to your discussion with Sioni Crawford about about that work and the vital work that they do. Um, What we know from research as well that's been conducted all over the world is that when you have peer workers engaged with people who use drugs, doing that frontline work, providing harm reduction or safer injecting advice, um, the results are often um, very, very positive because they know how to speak to people or engage with people. They know how to meet people where they're at. Um, and in that sense, they provide a, an absolutely vital service. And, um, you know, if we think about peer workers in some other context, like, you know, in my area of law, for example, my area of work as a lawyer, um, if you have counsellors or people who volunteer their time or even paid staff who work in court services who might be supporting victims of violence or victims of family violence and who have been through those experiences themselves, um, they're often able to provide a really caring, supportive um, and client-centred service because they know what it's like to to have been there. And it's a model in, in, in that sense that replicated in various settings. It's highly effective and it's well recognised and supported um, outside of drug policy. But for some reason, sometimes where um, we see that model operating within drug policy, it's not well understood by the broader public um, and by media and politicians. And unfortunately, we've seen some of that um, rhetoric play
1: out this week. Yeah, I think that um, that's that's exactly it. That's what we've been talking about, that it seems like Luke is probably just not really informed on um, on, on how sort of drug policy works. It just seems like one of those re- reflexive type uh, responses. So the, the thing that he said was um, uh, that people who are in danger of relapsing into drug use and not providing outreach services, he said, these people are here to assist people to get off drugs and access health services and when you have these allegations, that is undermined. And uh, uh, it's, it's that idea that uh, we are here to assist people to get off drugs and maybe um, talk to us a little bit about EMSER because there's plenty of ways, uh, plenty of pathways that people can take if they want to uh, abstain from drug use. But EMSER isn't necessarily about that, um, but that seems to, to irk some people. So can you talk to us a little bit about uh, how, how these programs work and what the, what the point of them is?
0: Yeah, well, the, the work of MSER and other supervised injecting centres around the world is, um, is broad. Um, I guess, first and foremost, what that service does is provide an initial point of contact for people who use drugs or who are injecting drugs to um, use and consume those drugs in a supported and supervised context. Um, and we know already, actually, from the first year of operation of MSIR, because a report um, or some initial data came out a couple of weeks ago, that they have already safely managed, uh, I think the data tell us, 1,232 overdoses in the first year of operation. Um, but the data also tell us that um, a couple of thousand people have been um, funneled, if you like, or triaged into an other services, connected up with other services, basically. So services like housing services, employment, other health services. Um, I've been to visit the Emser, and and you guys probably have too, Um, and they do a whole bunch of things, like talk to people about their dental care and help them access dental treatment, um, healthcare for all kinds of other problems that people might be experiencing, but have not had an opportunity to um, access. And one of the reasons why um, the EMSA is uh, a kind of place that people feel comfortable to come to and then end up getting connected to these other services is because of the stigma, the deeply entrenched, severe stigma that's associated with drug use and that acts as a barrier to people being willing to go to services of various kinds to seek help. And that is a really well-documented phenomenon, not just in Melbourne or in the Richmond area, not even just in Australia, but right across the world. We know that people who use drugs do experience stigma. They're treated poorly in healthcare settings, um, other social services. They are rejected, they are frequently discriminated against, including unlawfully, sort of illegally discriminated against. and they end up turning away from services. And so EMSER is this vital service doing incredible work that is not only preventing overdoses and, I think, saving lives. Um, I think we can say that with confidence that they're saving lives, but they are providing a place where people who have been mistreated, stigmatised and discriminated against can come and feel supported and welcomed, and then, if they wish to do so, connect up to other services. And so, in my view, it's a phenomenal, vital service that should um, not be questioned. And, in fact, we we almost certainly need need many more of them.
1: One of the things that seems to be um, challenging uh, to people that don't understand this issue well um, is this idea that People can continue to use drugs, and we can give services to them to reduce the potential for harm and that that's an okay thing to do so many people instead uh you know i mean just read comments in the uh, letters to the editor in in some of the newspapers or on comment sections on newspaper websites and um you know people almost have this um quite brazenly nasty attitude of just oh well, let them die they 've made a a stupid choice and this kind of thing, but it is that challenging thing because. When it comes back to it, drugs are illegal, and this is the point these people like to make. They're like, "Well, it's legal, so they should just have to suffer the consequences." I mean, what what do we say to these people, Kate? How do we how do we deal with this conversation?
0: Yeah, look, it is. You are right, Nick. It's a persistent um, discourse, and and uh, unfortunately, sometimes it's the kind of rhetoric that's also repeated by the media and often um, done so uncritically. And it really it saddens me actually because um, because I, I you know personally I come from the, the point of view that um, you know everybody has a right and uh, as kind of to be seen as and valued as a uh, in their sort of dignity as a subject and part of our community and um, but what I would encourage people to do is is sort of reflect on and try and have conversations with those people who might have a different perspective to them. Um, about why it is that drugs are currently criminalised, because I don't think we have enough of a public conversation about that. Um, people, I think, often just take for granted or assume that because certain drugs, like, say, heroin or cocaine, are currently criminalised, that must mean that there is something sort of inherently evil or dangerous about those drugs that meant that they were right for singling out and criminalising. But actually... The history of drug use uh, is is complex, and it and it, uh, it the fact that those drugs are criminalised reflects certain values that have been assigned to those drugs over time. It's about race; there's a kind of important connection and historical connection to race and to the communities who use those drugs, like the Chinese, for example, um, uh, and you know, traditional use of opium by Chinese. That's one example of it. But the other thing to say is that the most commonly drug commonly used drug in our community is alcohol. Um, And it's just that uh, different sort of value has been placed on drugs because of some of those historic ideas and connections that were made, and we've lost track of those, that history. And it's important to keep talking about it so that people understand that certain drugs Um, have uh, just found themselves having been criminalised over time and and just as they were criminalised at a certain point, it's possible to decriminalise them or even to legalise them to reverse the situation in which we found ourselves and I think that would go a long way to helping us reduce some of the harms that are are now associated or attached to those drugs because a lot of the harm, of course, itself comes from um, the prohibitionist approach we, we have.
1: And um, uh, just finally, before we let you go, I mean, there's a whole other uh, conversation to be had here. But you have a, a book that was uh, released earlier this year, a, a few months back. Laws, uh, law, drugs, and the making of addiction—just habits—is um, that uh, available? How, how does that work?
0: It, <laughs> is, it is, is available, but it's an academic book, so it's yes. um, unfortunately it's a it's a little bit expensive. But I'll tell you just a little bit about um, about the book, um, yeah. and thanks for mentioning it. So it's basically based on uh, three or four years of research that I've just done across Australia and Canada, um, looking at how essentially uh, drugs and addiction, and I use that term in inverted commas, um, are understood basically in legal settings and how drugs are managed in different areas of law. And part of what I did for that research was interview lawyers across Australia and Canada and judges and magistrates um, to, to sort of get a sense of their understandings. And I guess there's much I could say about it, but one of the kind of key take-home messages of that research is that many lawyers and judges and magistrates I interviewed are unhappy with the current uh, regime of um, prohibition, drug prohibition, believe desperately um, that we need a different way Um Many of them are supportive of drug law reform uh, in the form of decriminalisation or perhaps even legalisation and believe that the legal system actually doesn't solve um, problems that we attach to drug use but exacerbates them, magnifies them, generates them even, including stigma. Um, so I, I hope that the book will make an important contribution to that discussion and that ongoing debate and, um, and that you know we'll keep moving in the direction that I think we're moving in towards decriminalisation or even legalization at some It stage Seems thing. like
1: the rational conversation is uh heading that way, but I wonder <laughs> how much the rational conversation is the one that actually matters. Uh Kate, thanks so much for joining us on Insycedilia today. It's always a pleasure. Keep up the good work. Dr. Kate Sia, uh, who is an... Oh, no, my laptop's just died. She's an associate professor. She's a, a solicitor, um, so she's got a, a legal background and has been uh, working in drug policy area for a number of years. Uh, and uh, Kate's book, um, you can find it on Twitter. <laughs> I'm not sure where it's available from as an academic work, um, but I will share a link with uh, to that on um, Twitter and Facebook and also our website, psychedelia.org.
6: This is 3CR. Finally, words coming out of the industry. We're finally getting back into scientific research around psychedelics. That's why Carl and I really started this thing ten years ago. Um, We might have started it, but the guys have taken over. The, The core group is an absolutely magnificent group of people. Um, that just give and give and give on the basis that this is important stuff to be talked about. It's important to put people like me and various other people up on stage to talk to you. Um, so, 40 years of drugs, where's it? Or oh, 45 years of drugs, where's it left me? What have I? What have I stuck with over the years? Oh, I still smoke marijuana. I still do MDMA uh, two or three times a year, sometimes once a year. Um, And that is not recreationally used. I do MDMA with my partner and nobody else. We stay at home and we don't go out and rave. Certainly, uh, for me, as a biologist looking at myself, I can't speak for any of you guys. For me, the relationship between drugs and sex is so strong and so high. I do have to turn around and say, I confess that really a lot of my drugs uh, usage is about wanting to synergize sexual experiences. And it's taken me a long time to come to be able to say that. But I know that at the bottom that was the truth inside it, back very very early on and I can think back to Africa and so on and so forth, yes the motivation at that stage was um, uh, the dopamine experience, the thrill, um, the ability of dopamine and serotonin levels to manipulate the sexual experience. I'm lucky in a way because I'm a biologist and I understand what's going on in here. And the addictive part of the brain, the striatum, the basal part of the brain that runs a lot of unconscious stuff that you're not, we're not even aware of, um, that's the drive behind a lot of drug taking. And that actually weakens over the years. Um, that doesn't drive it in the same way as it does. Um, an area in the middle of the brain that's starting to feed stuff up into the rest of the brain um, Uh, the nucleus accumbens and the um, and some of the other parts of the uh, cortex, these areas don't seem to be sensitized as much in later life and so you get the situation that I've got where most of my friends have stopped taking drugs, none of them do it anymore, they're down to alcohol and nicotine and um, um, you know family picnics and things like that and when I ask them why don't you do drugs and they go well, you know it sort of kind of fell off me um, just don't think about it anymore. It wasn't any fun anymore. Um, and then when I asked them about the amount of drugs that they use, they actually use quite a lot. That there is the voice of Tim Payne, the co-founder, co-founder
1: of the uh, botanical charity Entheogenesis Australis EGA. Uh, Tim actually passed away earlier this year um, after losing his battle with cancer. And the video was recorded at the 10th anniversary of uh, the EGA conference in 2014. Uh, where he talks pretty openly about his life and his use of uh, uh, of drugs. Um, and also talked, uh, if you want to watch that full video, it's on the EGA YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash NTO TV, where he gets to um, talk a lot more in depth about his idea of uh, of why people, especially when they're younger, are more likely to take uh, drugs. But it, it just doesn't last forever. And this is, again, addiction is not um, something that is you know it's something that grabs a hold of people and holds them forever it's it's to do with all sorts of different circumstances all sorts of different things and the substances that you're taking do matter as well because different substances create different effects and they have different you know different profiles all of that anyway this is in psychedelia on 3cr and on the line now we have the uh, chairman of the yarra drug and health forum peter Wern. peter welcome to the program.
7: Oh good Nick. G'day, Ash. How are
1: you? Yeah, good. Um, thanks for joining us today. We've been hearing from Dr. Kate Sear and Sioni Crawford from Harm Reduction Victoria, um, talking a little bit about the role of uh, peer workers uh, in response to what's uh, the, the uh, arrests and the allegations uh, of a few peer workers at the uh, North Richmond Community Health Centre, right adjacent to the injecting room. Um, yeah, Drug Health Forum has been uh, incredibly uh, vital in um, in getting MSo happening, can you talk to us a little bit about um, peer workers and, and, and your understanding of that role?
7: Well, uh, well Nick and Ash, uh, thanks for having me on. The first thing I'd say is that um, uh, we need to acknowledge that uh, with the, uh, the uh, discovery and the uh, identification of uh, uh, HIV and hepatitis C, If it wasn't for the uh, the community of people with lived experience and peer experience in the drug and alcohol world, the death toll of HIV and hepatitis C would have been out of control in the Western world, and especially in Australia. And one of the things Australia did that was really smart was when we identified these viruses, was to go straight to the the lived experience and the peer community and say, how do we do something about this problem? And, uh, and single, almost single-handedly, well, with, with a combination of a lot of other groups, including the medical profession and, and others, um, peer workers have been instrumental in uh, protecting the community and saving thousands and thousands of lives through their informed wisdom and expertise. And I think we forget that uh, another way of talking about peers is talking about wisdom and expertise. So We should be very careful about throwing the baby out with the bathwater and uh, getting very hysterical uh, about what's just occurred before we know all the facts. But peer workers are crucial to the harm reduction system reducing harm.
1: Yeah, and I I suppose one of the things that we touched on with both Kate and Sioni is um, uh, that that lived experience Creates trust. One of the problems that we have, especially with marginalised and stigmatised uh, groups in society, is that they d- they don't trust the authorities because the authorities often aren't listening to them, don't um, understand them, and are often um, threatening them with a- with arrest and things like this. You know, it- it's it's hard for these people to to uh, trust an authoritative source, but because of that lack of trust, that then creates a whole series of other problems, um, which are the sort of things that Mso has helped. Respond to it's not necessarily about getting people off drugs, as Luke uh, Donnellan said in the in the paper. Uh, the the point of it is to move them away from a lifestyle that might have been much more harmful, from um, drug use that might have been much more risky, s- toward um, uh, something that's a bit more in control. Like that's that's the point of what's going on here, and I think that's what's being really misrepresented.
7: Uh, and and also. Um we, we have a we have a duty of care and a responsibility that when we do invite peer people to uh, take the risk of and as you point out take the risk of disclosing um, what is still illegal behaviour under our draconian and and, and law. Um, we're asking them to take a much bigger risk than anyone who's not in that role can even begin to understand stigma, discrimination, um, the threat of. Uh, of uh, legal action, and uh, and yet we know that that without their advice and without their their, uh, their input, many people would have died unnecessarily and needlessly because of um, because of because of those circumstances. So so peers are absolutely crucial. They are the main pillar of reducing harm. And 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 really, what it highlights, Nick and Ash, is the. Um, the hypocrisy of our drug laws and the hypocrisy of the, the circumstances that we're, under, we're, under, we're operating under now. And um, you will find that uh, when the when the uh, I have a strong belief that when all the uh, the real the real story comes out about the occurrences of the last few days, no one's ever going to look at the work that uh, the folk that are allegedly uh, committed uh, these crimes. The work they've done to save hundreds of people's lives in the work they've done in the harm reduction team at North Richmond, that's almost being ignored here. Mm. And uh, so I think we've got to be really careful that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and that we, we have a mature understanding. And, I, and I'd i ask the government and people that are making
1: decisions about this to yeah.
7: show some real wisdom
1: about well, this stuff we'll
7: before just... they go jump into
1: conclusions. Exactly. And, and just finally, because um, we're just about running out of time, but before we, uh, we, we finish up, um, the, there is this idea as well that has been put out that um, treatment, and I, I think this is one of these problems that we use words that sound like they're the same, it's the same spelling, it sounds the same, but we mean completely different things. And some people's idea of what treatment is, is based on... Drug abstinence, and I think that is at the heart of what prohibition thinks it can do that it hasn't managed to do, and it's actually made everything worse. Is this idea that treatment or you know being drug free is the ideal?
7: Yeah, and, I, and I, I think that's really true. I think we need to really review that um, when is saving lives a, legit, a legitimate goal in and of itself? Exactly. Reducing harm, saving lives, in a more humane and caring community is really what we should be aiming at. The drug issue is not a health issue; it has health implications. The drug issue is a human rights and civil liberties issue.
4: That's right. And it's
7: got to be, it's got to be framed in those terms. And, and thank goodness for people like Kate here, and uh, and people like yourselves, and running this show, that this argument. Can be
2: This has been a 3CR podcast you can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.